It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the 94 Feet Report. I am your host, as always, Eric Spiropoulos. Um, this is the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast, brought to you, as always, by Fan Essentials. Use promo code 94FEET at checkout for 30% off, and by Daily Fantasy Nerd. Um, this is the Monday, February 13th episode of the 94 Feet Report. We're actually recording on the previous Sunday, and we're about to be joined by Kelly Scaletta, who is a writer and editor at FanRag Sports and a columnist at Bleach Report and B-Ball Breakdown. Um, before we get into the the chat with Kelly, I um, want to mention that a trade actually went down after we finished our recording, so we couldn't talk about it during the episode. But the trade is that the Denver Nuggets have traded center Yusuf Nurkic and a 2017 first-round pick for Mason Plumley and a 2018 second-round pick from the Portland Trail Blazers. I think it's a really fascinating trade. I think it works for both teams. Um, Plumley is someone who can play uh, plays like Nikola Jokic. So if he were to come off the bench, the Nuggets have the you know 48 minutes of the same style of play at center, and even could potentially play next to Jokic for a couple of minutes a game. Um, meanwhile, the Blazers avoid having to play pay Mason Plumley a big contract in the offseason. And they get a, a guy in Nurkic who could be a good defender. Um, you know, he hasn't been great this past this season so far, um, but he did show promise in his rookie season. And they get a first-round pick, so it looks like they could, you know, set themselves up for another reload, with which in which has been a very disappointing season for the Blazers. Um, so that trade went down after we discussed with Kelly. In our interview uh, with Kelly, we talk about some young players. So, um, you know, who would we rather have? Uh, we talk about the awards race updates. We talk about trends or potential dead ends. And then we play a game of contender and pretender. So enjoy this interview with Kelly Scaletta. And we are now joined by Kelly Scaletta, who is an assistant editor and writer at FanRag Sports and a featured columnist for Bleach Report and whose political tweets uh, keep me uh, inspired on a daily basis. Uh, Kelly, how are you doing today? Good. How about yourself? Doing pretty well. Can't complain. Had a pretty adrenaline rush night watching that uh, Thunder Warriors game last night. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the Warriors are looking pretty good, huh? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I'm about at that time where I'm kind of done hearing about that storyline. It's their third game. They've all been blowouts. I don't know how many more times the media can make it such a big deal, but they'll probably continue for the next year or two at least. Yeah, until... Uh, Kevin Durant goes back to Oklahoma City like LeBron went back to Cleveland, right? <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, so we're just going to get into it. Uh, we have a couple of different segments, uh, a couple of pretty wide variety of topics, um, some inspired by recent performances, some not so much. But uh, we'll dive into it with uh, kind of a first segment I'm going to call a young star's pick and play. Um, basically given the cho- a choice between the two players that I'll name, um, which player would you pick moving forward and why? And we can discuss each one in a little bit more in depth. Um, the first one, 
I'm going to present to you is Nikola Jokic or Kristaps Porzingis. Which player would you choose right now moving forward for the future? Oh, that one, not even a question. I'd take Jokic over Porzingis mm-hmm. in a snap. Yeah. Um, Since he went back into the starting lineup for the Nuggets, you know, like the, the they, they started off with this disaster lineup with him and uh, what's his name? Nurkic. And since he's back in the starting line lineup with, you know, a small ball kind of offense around him, the Nuggets have the best offensive rating in the NBA. He's averaging like 25, 12, and 5 or something. His numbers are insane for 36 minutes. So, yeah, I can't even – I can't see – Chris Stapps ever becoming a guy that can not only be the leading scorer for uh, for a team, but also I can kind of see him being the leading scorer, but I can't see him also being the team's best playmaker. Yeah, that's which right now he already is. Yeah, that's that's the thing about Jokic. Like you, you build an offense around him, like through him with his passing and playmaking. Um, And the only thing I'm taking Jokic too, um, and I think almost each game he just pulls away even more from Porzingis. Um, And Porzingis. You know, it's had a pretty up and down year. He started off pretty well. Now, almost anything associated with the Knicks is a disaster. So um, he's in a, a tough situation, which makes it kind of hard dealing with Melo next to him, and of course, the uh, absolute mess that is the New York Knicks organization. Um, but Jokic's numbers are all better than Porzingis's when you look at the numbers like box plus minus, win shares, real plus minus, um, offensive rating, defensive rating is actually, I believe, the same for both players. Um, Actually, Jokic's is just one higher than Porzingis's, um, and Porzingis's defensive, defensive rating is such to me. Offensive rating and defensive rating are kind of garbage stats because yeah. they 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 have so much dependence on the, the the players around them. I don't really put much stock into those two numbers. Yeah, the only thing that makes me kind of think a little bit harder about it is is I, Porzingis's defensive potential. I think he has good defensive potential um, that he could eventually reach to on a consistent level. Um, but right now we're just we're not sure, you know, about that. If even if that defensive potential is enough to take Jok- uh, Porzingis over Jokic, which I don't think it is, because you can absolutely build an elite offense around Jokic, like the Nuggets have since they inserted him into the starting lineup. Um, and the defense won't be good. I mean, the def- the Nuggets defense is bad, but you know, I think that with better perimeter defenders around a guy like Jokic, you can make it acceptable. Um, which is what a team like the Rockets are doing right now is having a great offense with a, a, an acceptable defense. So there's a path to win, uh, to winning with Jokic, in my opinion. And of course, there's a path to winning with Porzingis, but maybe as like a second guy or you know not a lead playmaker, which is why I would take Jokic over Porzingis uh, right now. Um, did you get? Yeah, I'm not sold. I, I'm not. I'm not sold that that Porzingis is inherently a better defender than. Jokic, I think Jokic's basketball IQ might make him a better defender. He he just sees the court so well. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like Porzingis is a better shot blocker. Yeah, That's... but uh, that doesn't necessarily make him a better defender. Yeah. I agree. I th- yeah, I think to me Jokic reminds Jokic seems to me like kind of like a James Harden of big men. Like while all the other big men like Towns and Porzingis have like these incredible explosive dunks and plays, Jokic when you watch him play just seems like he's just going to slowly methodically destroy you, kind of like what Harden does compared to players like Westbrook and and Durant and all those guys. That's what I kind of see as like a kind of a unique style of play that 
isn't probably appreciated enough by casual fans, kind of like I think Harden's game is. Um, that's what I just feel about how I watch when I watch Jokic compared to when I watch yeah, Harden. What it reminds me of on the offense a lot is like a 2013 level Joakim Noah who mm-hmm. can actually shoot and score. <laughs> yeah. Like if, you know, that, that, that season where he just, the offense ran through him and he had all those like handoff passes and was hitting cutters and he was running the offense from uh, from the three-point line, base, or from the free-throw line, basically. Well, Jokic is able to do that from the three-point line because he's such a good three-point. He's shooting like 40% from three. And yeah. then that pulls the, 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 the opposing big man out and opens up all these cutting lanes, and then he's just, just like Noah, just so adept at finding those cutters and and if you don't respect the three point or his three point shooting he'll just pop a three point shot on you it, he is like right now he's just so hard to defend and you know i i just it's i i i would love to have that guy on my team yeah yeah his performance against uh, porzingis in the Knicks uh, a couple of days ago was just spectacular beating them from you know all areas of the court um Let's move on to our next pick and play. Um, this one I think is, is pretty hard in my opinion, um, probably harder than Jokic or Przingis, but Yannis Adendokupo or Carl Anthony Towns, which player would you choose and why? Yeah, that one I really, that one's a really, really tough one. Yeah. Um, I'll just, I, I will say there is no wrong answer to this. <laughs> yes. I just don't know what the right answer is. Um. Boy, I right now just because I think that having uh, a, a guy who can handle the, the, the you know not that Towns can't handle the ball, mm-hmm. but to have a perimeter player that can handle the ball, that can penetrate, um, that can score efficiently, set up his teammates, rebound the ball, play defense. That kind of do it all perimeter player. Mm-hmm. It's such a valuable, valuable commodity in the modern offense. Yeah, I would, I would take uh, Greek Freak just by a sliver over Towns. That that was exactly what I was thinking. Just Giannis is being great on both ends of the floor. Um, I think he could honestly be even better with his team one healthy and two kind of better built around him with more shooters around him. Um, mm-hmm. I think that can make him even better than he already is now. I mean. I mean, his numbers now are, I mean, are insane. Um, he's averaging 5.4 assists per game, and I think that honestly could increase if he had more shooters and a healthy team around him like Middleton and, and uh, well, now Parker's out. But um, if he had more shooters, which obviously he would have had with Middleton, you know, being healthy for the majority of the year, um, more shooters around him, I think he honestly could have, you know, seven assists per game combined with his almost nine rebounds, 23 points two blocks, almost two steals. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. Um, I looked that up. There's there's never been a player in history that's had 20, 20 averaged uh, 25 and 5 with one and a half steals and one and a half blocks. Wow. Wow. Yeah, his, his numbers are really... Like average, he could end up averaging like, for a season, his ceiling, I mean, he could have a 25-10-5-2-2 season. Like, he could have slash numbers across the board that are completely unparalleled in the history of the game. Like, 
not and this isn't like one of those things where you 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 know, like he's barely making these things and it's just sort of a almost like a math trick i mean he is on a on, just in terms of filling five stats he's on a level that no one's been on since maybe like kareem yeah his number yeah Crazy. Yeah, his numbers are going are historical now and are going to continue to be historical each season. I mean, he's only 22, and I think what is this his third or fourth year? I think I think it's his third, if I'm not mistaken. But um, yeah, and he only started playing basketball like three or four years before his first NBA game. Yeah, it's really the growth he's made already is is really incredible. Um, so yeah, I would take Giannis, but this one I think is, is the hardest one that we're going to talk about today. We've got two more. Um, we're going to go back to Nikola Jokic, but now instead of Jokic or Przingis, we're going to do Jokic or one of my beloved players, Joel, trust the process, Embiid. Um, given the choice between Embiid or Jokic, which player would you take? This one is actually pretty easy for me, mm-hmm. uh, just based on health. Yeah. I, I, I take Jokic based on health. If if you promise me that Embiid will never have another injury problem, I take Embiid on pure ceiling. But I can't trust he will ever reach that ceiling because he's just, you know, and and be able to play like even seventy games a season. Mm. Uh, that that my, his fragility is more of an issue with me than his actual play. His play is phenomenal. I mean, especially like I. I, I think one thing that's insane is you can almost forget that he went two years without playing competitive basketball <laughs> before this season, and he's having this incredible rookie season. What happens once he's able to start playing 30 minutes a night and uh, you know is completely in rhythm and stuff? We, we haven't even seen close to his potential yet, but I just worry he could end up being like, out of the league in five years yeah. <laughs> yeah we've only seen 31 games of Embiid and it's I mean incredible I mean obviously he's like changed the narrative with how well he's played but um, I have that what exactly what you just said I have in my notes I said if you promised I get Embiid for 70-75 games a season I would probably choose him because of the ceiling he has on both ends of the floor but the injury concerns are a real issue now um, if anyone hasn't heard he has now a slight torn meniscus I think it is left knee, um, and he hasn't had a knee injury before, but that doesn't, you know, that's just not a good sign that his legs are, I don't know, when I watch him play, when he goes for a dunk and lands, I mean, sometimes I, I you know, I quiver, really, I, that, that's how we, awkward it looks sometimes, um, but so you, you factor in the injuries, and I have to take Jokic because of the fact that there ha- he hasn't had any injury problems first, um, and second of all, it's not like the level of play is so drastic where you know, taking Jokic is, is insane. So, yeah, factoring in the injuries, I'd have to take Jokic. Um, but if you promise me Embiid doesn't get hurt or plays 75 games a season, I would probably choose Embiid. But at this point, he's played 31 games. He has another injury now. I just don't know he, if he ever gets to play 30 minutes a game. He might be a guy who can only play 25 minutes a game. And those will be great 25 minutes. But when Jokic can work his way to 30, 32, 33 minutes a game, I have to take Jokic, especially with the injury risk. Right. Um, let's... He's been doing that since he's been back in the starting lineup. He's been averaging over, I'm not quite sure, but, and his, he, like, if you look at Jokic's numbers since he, he, he was reinserted in the starting lineup by himself as a big man, 
his numbers are really really impressive and i think a lot of i think a lot of casual fans are sleeping on Jokic, but the nba nerds love him yeah a, a lot of casual fans are sleeping on Jokic, really and yeah i'm actually going to write an article about Jokic for 16 wins a ring this week and i've just been watching some clips of him and it's just such a joy to watch really um but enough about Nikola Jokic. Let's move on to our last uh, pick and play. This one doesn't really excite me because both players don't really excite me at this point anymore. I was super excited about one of them last season, but this season has kind of, you know, dampened my excitement. Um, D'Angelo Russell or Devin Booker, uh, which player would you take moving forward? I would take Booker on that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I think he's he's got, uh, you know... I, I really like uh, well okay with, with Booker I, I like Booker over Russell because I look at one of two things first can they win an MVP can they win a scoring title um, I can I can't see either player ever winning an MVP yeah I can see Booker winning a scoring title mm-hmm. I cannot see Russell being much more than a borderline all-star ever in his career I, I, I think maybe Lakers fans are a little too high on him but I can see Booker being an all-star several years in a row just based on his pure scoring potential. And he's only, I think he's barely 20 years old. Uh, my problem with Booker is he's not that efficient. And, you know, he's kind of one-trick pony volume score type guy. Yeah. But I think he's young enough. He's never going to develop into an all-around player like a LeBron James or something. <laughs> But I do think he can elevate some aspects of his game, you know? Yeah. So uh, I can see him being a better version of like a DeMar Rosen type. Yeah, I really like that comparison. Uh, Yeah, I would take Booker. I think he just has like a higher ceiling to reach. As you said, you know, DeAndre Russell, I feel like maybe at his best is like a potential all-star, maybe. Um, Booker, I see, yeah, as you just said, could be a better DeMar DeRozan. Um, he's extremely young, you know. Right now, he's basically putting up kind of empty numbers, but that's because you know the Phoenix team isn't good; they're rebuilding, etc. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see where they are in a couple of years. And you know, I'm predicting in a couple of years we got Devin Booker being in the top five in the scoring uh, race for the scoring title. We got D'Angelo Russell kind of just like being potentially even a, a second or third option on that Lakers team. You know, in a couple of years, depending on what they do in drafts or free agency. You know, I feel like the Suns look at Booker as kind of that that building block franchise player and the Lakers kind of look at Russell like, you know, honestly, he could probably be our second or third option at this point. I don't know. Something about Russell doesn't really excite me um, as much as watching Booker and thinking about the potential that Booker has and the higher ceiling that Booker has kind of excites me more than than watching Russell uh, moving forward. So I would have to take Booker um, moving forward. You know, what, what I have what I call like rewind plays mm-hmm. where uh, players will make play during the game that just drops your jaw and then when the commercials come along you rewind to watch that play over and over again uh-huh. Booker makes rewind plays Russell doesn't make rewind plays yeah you know he doesn't he doesn't do things that you're just like you want to just watch the play several times to figure out exactly how he did that <laughs> you know uh, I, I just don't see that in him um, and, and, and you know like the really great players they do those all the time uh, so yeah, I'm gonna go with Booker. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go with Booker mainly because of the higher ceiling. I think he could reach and probably will reach. Actually, um, 
So yeah, that'll do it for our Young Stars Pick and Play little segment there. And we're going to move on to uh, another game I'm going to call Trend or Dead End. Um, okay. Got about three trends or potentially dead ends, depending on what you think. Um, let's start with the first one. Something I thought we'd never talk about, you know, even three weeks ago. Um, the Miami Heat making the playoffs. <laughs> uh, is this a trend or a dead end? Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. Um, did they end up winning last night? No, their their winning streak was snapped by the Embiidless Philadelphia 76ers. Ah, there it goes. Now Donald Trump has seen every team lose. <laughs> oh. Miami was the last team that hadn't lost in the Trump administration. Um, so let me think. Uh, can Miami make the playoffs? How far back are they now? Like a game or two? Um, they are currently a game and a half out of the eighth seed. Yeah, I think a lot of that might depend on what Chicago does. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I think there's potential there. They got so they, like like they basically went on a 12 game w- winning streak with their D League team. <laughs> yeah. You know? I mean, and, and, and you know, like a couple of their starters, but they they they've been so decimated with injuries. I think that really says a lot about Spo's coaching. Being yeah. hugely underrated, um, I think if 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 Chicago ends up being sellers at the deadline, mm-hmm. which they should, yeah. then Miami has a really good shot. If not, I'd say they're it's pretty even between them, Chicago, and uh, one of those other crap teams that are going to make the playoffs. Yeah, you, you got Detroit. Detroit is the A seed right now. Um, they're a game ahead of the Hornets, who are half game ahead of the Heat. And the Heat are tied with the uh, Bucks for being a game and a half behind the A seed. The Bucks, you know, with Jabari's injury, I can't confidently say they'll make the playoffs. The Hornets are probably one of my most disappointing teams of the season. I expected a lot more from the Hornets going in. Um, I expect the Pistons will make the playoffs just because I believe in Van Gundy and that team they have there to squeeze in, even if they're like five or seven games under. And yeah, like you said, it depends on the Bulls, really, because, um, you know, the Bulls... Of the seven seed, but they're you know three and a half, I don't know three games behind the six seed Pacers, who are comfortably going to make the playoffs, in my opinion. Um, and if the Bulls become a seller, that opens up basically a playoff spot. And if they don't sell, I think that the Bulls might be able to squeak in, though. Uh, I really wouldn't enjoy watching them in the playoffs. But then again, I probably wouldn't enjoy watching the Heat as much either. Um, but yeah, as you said, it's just a huge credit to Spolstra. I think he's doing such a great job, and I think that if they make the playoffs, he should be serious contention for Coach of the Year, because this roster is not playoff-worthy at all. Um, and it's interesting for the Heat, you know, you know, Pat Riley maybe gets kind of desperate or gets kind of eager that they went on this winning streak and tries to become a buyer at the trade deadline, which I don't think they should do, um, but you never know if they want to make a move, you know, Riley, kind of old, probably doesn't want to see a rebuilding job, and this winning streak has probably changed his mind potentially, um, but I wouldn't want to see them become a buyer at the deadline. So I'm going to say dead end for now. But well, you know, like with the Heat, if they can, if somebody's just trying to offload a player, yeah, without without uh, getting anything in return, they do have that uh, Chris Bosh player exception that yeah. can absorb salary space. So if they're just adding something and not subtracting anything interesting to see what could happen with the heat yeah i'm gonna say a dead end with an asterisk that if the bulls become sellers it may be a trend we'll have to probably revisit that one um moving on to the next trend which is a similar similar trend different team um the trend or dead end of the denver nuggets making the playoffs right now i 
think they're pretty much favorites. Yeah. Uh, they're 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 starting to get a little separation from the other teams, and it's not just that; it's their their trajectory is up, and all the other all their competition is down. Like, who is going to get it? I, Portland? You know, Portland is just uh, no. I don't see it. Um, they just don't have the backcourt defense to to get there. Minnesota keeps teasing you with, mm-hmm. uh, like they're about to find the groove and then they they lose a few. The Pelicans got off to an zero and eight start and then they played five hundred for a while, but they've been kind of dissolving lately. So unless one of those other teams can get hot and put together like a six or seven game winning streak, <coughs> I don't see any of them like really challenging Denver at this point. Yeah, I think all those teams, Denver is the most likely one to get hot and put together a winning streak. Yeah, I think it's a trend. Um, I I mean, it does make it does kind of. um, We have to wait and see if they make a move at the deadline. You know, maybe they. You know, we've heard Wilson Chandler is kind of upset. Maybe they just sell him and see what they get in return. They could move Kenneth Reed, depending if they become. I don't know why they. I mean, they could still be a seller at the deadline, really, with all the players they have. Um, But if they don't make a move, I would say it's a trend. Um, I'd say that really, besides the Blazers, who I think just you know Lillard and McCollum carrying them to an A seed, being like seven games under, could potentially happen. Um, another team I'm really watching are the Mavericks, just because you know I'm a, I'm a big believer in Carlisle. Um, they've actually been playing well. They're seven and three in their last ten games. Um, you know they don't have a lot of firepower, but if they stay healthy, you know Berea can return after the All Star break. They could just get the necessary push um, to get the A seed. They're only two games back right now. Um, right, and you know, if Yogi Bear had uh, been raised in the wild, his name would be Yogi Ferrell. <laughs> oh yeah, if anyone doesn't follow Kelly on Twitter, you're missing out on his great puns, um, by the way. So everyone follow Kelly on Twitter for the great puns, of course. Um, but yeah, I think the Kings, you know, I'm not going to count on the Kings to make it, even though they're only two games back as well. The Pelicans are three games back, I'm not going to rely on them. And the Timberwolves are four games back, and I'm not relying on them. So I think it comes down to Denver, Portland, and Dallas. Right now, I'd go with Denver, and I probably, I probably would go Dallas over Portland because I believe in Carlisle um, and Nowitzki, and you know the players they've got. Seth Curry um, is playing well, um, so I'd probably you know go Denver, then Dallas, then Portland in that order for the AC right now. But of course, everything really could change by the trade deadline in two weeks. So you know we could we could all be talking for nothing here, but that's what it is. Um, and the final trend or dead end I want to present to you is going to the Eastern Conference. Um, is it a trend or a dead end with the Raptors finishing as the four seed? I'm thinking they might not even do that. Are you saying lower? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think they're only a game in front of the Hawks right now. Yeah, they're a game in front of the Hawks. Three games back of the two seed and half a game back of the third seed. Yeah, they had that really, really hot start. And I know some of their offensive regression is due to, you know, like DeMar DeRozan was hurt for a few games. They were without, you know, Carroll for a little bit. And, uh, you know, but but there's also you, you rely so heavily on the mid-range shot. Eventually it's going to catch up to you. And I think there's still a top 10 offense. I just don't think they were ever on that elite level of offense like the Warriors are and people were like oh they've got a better offensive rating than the Warriors but you knew that there was some regression going to happen yeah with, with, with the the Raptors offense and you knew that the Warriors offense was actually better than it was showing 
so now things have kind of normalized uh and the raptors have kind of gotten a little bit better lately and i can't remember who they play today but I, it's some sucky team like the nets or something so that that should help them a little bit but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna say almost like atlanta for that four seed over them yeah, I I think it's a Boston and Washington are going to be ahead of them. That's yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think it's a trend that they that they finishes the four seed. I mean, four seed or below. I think that Boston and Washington are going to continue to play basically at this level, which has been elite over the next month or so, which would push them ahead um, pretty comfortably. Again, another trade deadline potential if Toronto makes a move because they might feel desperate. Um, that changes things, and if Boston or Washington make a move, that also changes things too. Um, but the Raptors, yeah, you started. You mentioned that elite start offensively. They're about to be passed by the Rockets um, for second in the off in offensive rating. Um, and people expected the Rockets to be an elite offense. I don't think anyone expected the Raptors to be this good offensively this season. Um, and they've kind of come back down to earth. Um, another thing I'm worried about is they're playing Kyle Lowry a lot of minutes, especially when DeRozan was out. Um, I, I mean, I'm not really worried as much as I probably should be, but, um, you know, Lowry's minutes, He's pl- I think he had three games this past week where he played 40 minutes at least. Um, we've seen him in the past get, you know, kind of worn out and struggle in the playoffs, and that's not what Toronto wants um, this year, especially if they finish as the four or five seed because that slates them with the Cavs in the second round. You know, that's, you know, pretty much doomed to your playoff chances right there. Uh, same in the Western Conference too. Um so they're going to have to really try hard to avoid that 4-5 spot. Um, and you know, I think three games behind the two seed, I don't think they're going to get that, but half a game behind the Wizards for the three seed, they could still put it together and catch the three seed. And I think they'll be extremely motivated to know that you know if they are the four seed, they face the Cavs in the second round, and that's not going to be good. Um, so I, I think it's a trend, though, that they finished in the four seed. Um, and now we can move on to a similar kind of uh, topic, but not trend or dan. It's going to be contender or pretender. And uh, in this little outline of notes, I put in parentheses four conference finals question mark because <laughs> I don't really want to say anyone is a contender for the finals b- besides the Cavs and Warriors um, and potentially the Spurs. Um, but these four teams I have specifically uh, ready to talk about. I think conference finals is kind of the appropriate level of contention for them. Um, so we'll start off to a team that uh, you and I both write about, uh, the Houston Rockets. Are they a contender or pretender for the conference finals at this moment, in your opinion? Uh, I'd say they're a contender. Mm-hmm. Um, their, their offense is really good. Their defense is better than expected. Yeah. Uh, it's not good for a while there when they were super hot they were their defense was actually top 10 when they were they had like a 24 and 5 run so it wasn't like just a 10 game sample size or something for you know almost half the season they were tearing apart the league um and then they had some injuries and now they're they're starting to get healthy and they're winning again i think they've won, won like four straight now yeah so you know they're they're really good um I'm looking at a second-round matchup with the Spurs, and so I, I think that would be a really fantastic series. Yeah, that would be that's a series that um, would be fantastic, of course, and I think a series that the Rockets could win. Um, so far this season, the Rockets are one and two against the Spurs, but if you remember that third game, they had they were up by like 17, like in the fourth quarter, they had an extreme collapse at home, something that probably wouldn't happen regularly. But again, it is the Spurs, so give credit to them. Um, 
And yeah, I think the Rockets are a contender for the conference finals, and especially if they make a trade, um, particularly either for a big man who can protect the rim and rebound, or a wing player to replace Corey um, Brewer, so I don't have to see him run around like a chicken with its head cut off on the court anymore. Um, because if you replace Brewer's minutes with a guy like a Cephalosha, a P.J. Tucker, those guys are extremely valuable um, in the second unit and then would be extremely valuable in a series against a San Antonio or even a Golden State. Um, just another defender there to, to guard the offensive fa- uh, firepower of both teams. But realistically, if the Rockets are healthy and they get a hot stretch going into the playoffs, I could definitely see them making the conference finals. And if you know if they stay, if they stay in the third seed and, and make a trade for a bench player, I definitely think they're a contender for the conference finals this season. Um, yeah, I wrote an article on on some trade ideas for for Bleach Report, and and I mentioned both Tucker and and Cephalus in that because they both have that defensive ability and they can shoot the three. Yeah. The other guy that if they can make a a a, a, play, a, a trade for that would vault them maybe into favorites to get to the conference finals is Serge Ibaka. If they got Serge Ibaka, that would be. Uh, that'd be an impressive team because uh, because then they could do so much you know like yeah. play play a Baca at the five and Anderson at the four and then you play this five out with James Harden I mean how on earth do you defend that yeah and then uh, or and, and or you just you know play a Baca at the four Capella at the at the five and then you've got one three four and five you've got very good defenders in five of those positions. Mm-hmm. And you're not even really. You can still play. You've still got uh, Harden surrounded with four shooters and this rim runner and Capella. So, so you could, but but that would also be a really uh, an exceptional defensive unit. Um, and there's some things that could you know they, like if they sent McDaniel's and Brewer to make the salary work and maybe like their 2018 first pick and. Uh, they're, they've got two second round picks this year, mm-hmm. plus their own, and then they've got uh, you know all those overseas assets. So you think they can make a deal work to get a Baca? They, they they should be able to throw out enough if they're look you know if Orlando's looking to sell them, which it looks like they are. So that's another guy. If you put him on Houston, they become really good. Yeah, yeah, I wrote about an article about them trading for Ibaka for Hoops Habit, and I mentioned that you know the lineup diversity that they could have with Ibaka, putting him at the five with Anderson is just incredible offensively. Um, putting him at the four next to Capella with Beverly and Ariza on the floor at the same time is, is great defensively and doesn't really sacrifice anything offensively because Ibaka has, has turned into like a – I think he's shooting 38% on threes this season. So he is, he is a true stretch four or stretch five depending on where you play him. And uh, – if the Magic get increasingly desperate, the way they're losing, I think they just lost by 30-something to the Mavs yesterday. They could just, you know, get extreme, extremely desperate and take him for KJ McDaniels, Corey Brewer, first-round pick, second-round pick, um, which doesn't sacrifice anything for the Rockets' rotation. Uh, it does make things a little bit crowded because they already do have Capella, Harrell, and Nene at center. Um, you know, Decker can move to backup small forward, theoretically, and then you can put Ibaka and Anderson as the power forward kind of duo, but... That's for them to figure out if if they trade for Ibaka. But um, even a move for a Cephalosha or a Tucker would would be modest, but extremely valuable in in the playoffs, especially against certain teams like the Spurs and the Warriors. So if they make a trade and stay in the third seed, I think the Rockets are a serious contender uh, for the conference finals. Um, Moving to the Eastern Conference, um, we just talked about them a little bit. The Washington Wizards, are, are they a contender or a pretender for the conference finals in your opinion? 
I'd say right now they're the second best team in the conference. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely go with contender. Yeah, I think I think they're contender too. Um, they have to stay in the top three, which is you basically could say that for any team, you know, in that kind of range, you have to stay in the top three in both conferences in order because if you fall to four or five, you know, you're facing the Cavs or the Warriors in the second round, and you know that's pretty much you know building your coffin right there. Um, so if they stay in the top three, I think they're certainly a contender. I would love for them to make a move for a bench piece. Their bench is still not good. It was it was terrible to begin the season. It's moderately improved to be you know somewhat acceptable. Um, but I would love for them to make a bench move. They don't really have a lot of assets or cap space, so it will be interesting to see what they could do. But even something modest for a bench piece would be extremely valuable for them in the playoffs. Um, but I think they match up. We saw they matched up well with the Cavs. They pushed them pretty hard. Um, that was a great game last Monday, I think it was. Um, you know, I think they're what it, two and one against the Celtics this year, and they have that kind of weird rivalry, non-rivalry kind of joking thing there. Um, so I think that theoretically they could, if they are the third seed and face the Celtics, who would potentially probably be the two seed. I think the Wizards could beat the Celtics there. Um, so yeah, I agree with you. I think they're a contender, and um, I'd probably say they're. I think the Celtics could be a little bit better than them if they make a move. Um, you know, if they get a rebounder or a rim protector, and we'll talk about that because they're the next team. Um, but, yeah, I could totally see them being the second-best team in the conference and staying as that third seed makes them a serious contender in the East. Um, yeah, so speaking of the Celtics, um, are the Celtics a contender or a pretender uh, for the conference finals uh, for you? Yeah, they're a contender. I think that second-round series between Washington and Boston is going to be phenomenal. Um, I have a concern with Isaiah Thomas's defense as great as he is on offense, you know, the, the, the numbers, the Celtics get outscored with him on the court in the fourth quarter. And that's just a reality. And so as much as he scores, he gives up and, uh, he's going to be guarding John wall. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, he's literally, if you look at DRPM, he is literally the worst defender in the league. Yeah. So people are like, Oh, well, what about Harden? Well, Harden is a lot better defensively than Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, he, I'm not, not trying to say he's a great defender or anything, but he is not the worst defender in the league. Only one player can be the worst defender in the league, and that <laughs> happens to be Isaiah Thomas. Um, and, yeah, he's short, and, yeah, he tries, but he's still a liability. That doesn't change because he's short. They don't like, oh, you only scored on Isaiah Thomas. We're only going to give you a point and a half for that basket. That, you know, <laughs> You, you, they don't. They don't give level of difficulty points for who you're scoring on. Um. So yeah, that's that's the concern. I put Washington slightly over Boston because of that. Um. But you know what? Like you said, if they if they made a move, uh, if they got a rebounder. But they have so many assets. Yeah. You're really you know, like these Jimmy Butler to Boston trades scenarios fascinate me. Because mm-hmm. it, it, it is just like if you had a big three of Thomas, Butler, and Horford, and then you have a lot of depth around them, could you challenge Cleveland? I think you could. I think you could. You know, and so they, you know, you know, Boston fans want to protect those Brooklyn picks, but you've got a real chance of getting to the finals this year if Jimmy Butler is your starting wing. And, and the other thing I like about that is it's a one, a three, and a five. 
they're all kind of closer in age. They're all on the same timeline. So, you know, let's say you give up uh, Avery Bradley. Uh, let's go with Jalen Brown and the two Nets picks. Yeah. Uh, that seems like a pretty fair swap. That's it, yeah. That's not a player in the league that's going to get you to the finals, potentially. And, the, and, and Jimmy Butler guards LeBron so well. So even looking at just the schematics of when you when you get to the to the finals and then you've got two of the best clutch players in the league right now jimmy is so good in the clutch yeah uh he wins games on both ends of the court in the clutch too they don't have a guy like that right now so it you know a lot of it is also just not just having a top 10 player but having a top 10 player that fills every hole and need you have yeah you know if you have an elite perimeter defender then that really compensates for Isaiah Thomas's bad defense. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I just that's the one thing to me that could be a complete game changer if that trade happened. Boston might not just be a con, uh, a contender for the conference finals. Yeah, and that's the thing with you know doing any talking about any of these topics really before the trade deadline we don't know um i doubt something that significant would happen but you never know even even if you know not just saying for the celtics even if a guy like paul Millsap is traded maybe to the raptors um you know that changes things too uh, just uh, abaka being traded changes things you know there are so many potential trades that could change things significantly um you know but as of right now i'd say the celtics are still a contender for the conference finals and if they make a move especially a significant one um, then they're definitely, I think, would be a contender for the actual, you know, the NBA Finals. Um, okay, so moving to our final team for this contender or pretender game, going back to the Western Conference, the Utah Jazz. Are they a contender or pretender, in your opinion? Oh, this boy, one's hard. They're in that 4-5 slot, right? Yeah. So that means the second-round series against the Warriors. So I'm going to have to go with no. That's exactly what I have written down. I said no. Only because I think they stay in the four and five matchup, which means a second round death matchup with the Warriors. And I'm not saying that the Jazz couldn't push them to six games. I think they could, um, but ultimately, you know, I can't see any way with the Jazz beating the Warriors in a seven game series. Um, I think the Jazz are a really good team, but right now I think that uh, they are four games. Oh no, they're five games behind the Rockets for the third seed. I just don't think I see them getting that, closing that gap which means I see them being the four or the five seed, depending on the Clippers and stuff like that. And four or five seed, you're just matched up with the Warriors. And unfortunately, that makes you not a true contender. Sorry, Jazz or Clippers. Um, but I really like the Jazz. They're fun to watch. They're really good, really well coached. Um, but they've got to avoid that four or five seed, and I don't think that's going to happen. All right, let's move on to our next segment. We've got two more here. Um we're going to do a little bit of an awards race update, um, essentially because um, on our last show, I did my awards race updates on, on who I have as the front runners. So I'd rather spend a little bit more time on who you have as the front runners because I don't think everyone wants to hear me repeat basically what I said, you know, a week ago. Um, so I'll just um, name the award and I'll say why I have as a front runner and then you can agree or disagree and, and you know, elaborate further. But uh, for Rookie of the Year... I still have Joel Embiid, um, but at this point, it's getting kind of interesting because there's, you know, the rookies behind him aren't really doing that much. You know, Brogdon's been nice. Jamal Murray's shown some flashes, but nothing kind of too great. But we're at the point where we don't know how much more Embiid is going to play this season. He's only played 30, 31 games so far. 
you know, even if he gets healthy and comes back and plays like 50, 55 games, I mean, I think I saw on Twitter that that would be the lowest amount of games played for a rookie of the year in, in a long time since like the 1980s or 90s. Um, I'm trying to remember what it was, but, you know, we're at that point where we don't know how much he's going to play. I still have him as rookie of the year because when he's on the floor, he's by far been the best rookie and he's been just a, an actual, actual star when he's been on the floor. But, you know, we're at that point where we have, it's kind of concerning. Um, but do you still have him beat as rookie of the year? I still have him as rookie of the year, but I think there is the window is open to crack. Yeah, just and be- it's really. I mean, it's been a pretty awful rookie class. Yeah, I, I, when, uh, it's just been horrible. So you know, there's always a chance that like somebody like Murray steps it up the second half of the season after the All Star break and kind of takes it away from Embiid. But it's just it's. I, I think uh, I was reading somewhere that outside of Embiid based on per or something I, I can't remember what it was like there's not even a rookie that's in in the top 132 in nba history yeah Some crazy number like that like the whole class sucks yeah and and, and Embiid isn't even part of this class yeah <laughs> yeah so if he yeah i i have Embiid now because just you know when he actually produces it's just been it's been you know excellent but the the window has cracked a little bit with his injury concerns. Who knows what they do with his injury? They might want to be extremely extremely cautious, and he plays fifty games the entire year, or maybe even less. Um, but unless a, another rookie really takes a step forward, it's going to be hard to give it to them because when Embiid has been on the floor, he's been spectacular. Um, you know what? I just thought of that'd be kind of fun. Yeah. What? Let's say Ben Simmons came back after the uh, All Star break Ooh. and averaged like twenty seven and seven. <laughs> wow, you know that would be interesting because he he would it, let's say he does come back for like the first game after the All Star break. That would mean he and he plays the rest of the season. That would mean he plays close to thirty games, kind of similar, but you know depends. I guess it would depend on if he played more or less games than Embiid. Um, so that'd be interesting to watch. I don't think that's going to happen though. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Running wild. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to the next one. Six man of the year. This one I think has actually gotten increasingly interesting over the past two ish weeks. Um, if you asked me a couple weeks ago, I would I would say clearly Eric Gordon. But uh, now there's been more candidates that I think have kind of opened up. Um, I still I still have Gordon, and you know maybe it's just the Rockets kind of bias in me. But uh, I still have Gordon being because he's a significant piece on a winning team. Um, He's playing great. He's staying moderately healthy. Um, and there have been games when Gordon's been out and the Rockets have looked just absolute trash um, on the second unit w- without Gordon. So he's extremely valuable to the Rockets. Though I do think that guys like James Johnson on the Heat, who's really stepped up um, over the past couple of weeks in their winning streak. Um, you've always got the perennial winner, Jamal Crawford. Um, uh, Zach Randolph is there. Uh, it's a lot of candidates now. Uh, Lou Williams. Um, but I think right now I'd still have... Eric Gordon. Yeah, I have Eric Gordon, and I, I don't think it's really that close. Uh, uh, Randolph might be my second. Uh, Lou Williams is doing a lot on a on a team that's not very good. Yeah. Uh, James Johnson kind of like really helped with that win streak, but I think with Eric Gordon, there are two things. One, he's he's pushing Steph Curry for the three point championship. Yeah. Like who saw that coming? This <laughs> yeah, and, 
And the second thing, and maybe this doesn't get as much uh, press coverage as it should, is his uh, presence allows James Harden to get more rest. Yeah. Because I think this is, I think, the first time. The last time I checked these numbers, it was still accurate. Um, but but the, the 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 Rockets actually had a positive net rating with James Harden on the bench. Yeah, I think that's still the case. And that has been, I mean, it was Westbrookian, you know, in previous years. Like, when, when Harden took a bench, it was like minus double digits. Uh, so, so that has, it's not just he is on a successful team. He is part of the reason that team is successful. Yeah. And he's also efficient. He's not just jacking up points or jacking up shots and you know the ball's got to land somewhere and sometimes it goes through the rim like Jamal Crawford uh he's an efficient scorer he makes Houston better he's actually been a pretty solid defender yes um he he is really uh he's one of the best signings of the season you know outside of Durant (laughs) And, and in a way I would say he's almost better than Durant not because he's a better player than Durant, but, you know, with Durant, it was like, uh, yeah, let's sign Durant. I, that, that's not a controversial call, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Yeah. Nobody's sitting there speculating whether or not they want Kevin Durant on their team. But Eric Gordon had his injury issues. He was never this good. But, you know, Maury saw that kind of, ooh, we can make a really nice fit here. And so uh, just in terms of seeing a player being able to be so much better than his history suggested in the right with the right fit and all that I, I think he's he's maybe the best signing this season so for me Eric Gordon sixth man of the year yeah I agree and uh, we'll talk yeah we're going to talk a little bit more about the Rockets offseason when we get to executive of the year that kind of spoils what I'm thinking but uh let's move on to defensive player of the year um not coming from Houston uh we're going to go with I think I have Rudy Gobert, but Draymond Green is is really. I would be okay with picking Green or Gobert. I just I don't know something about Gobert anchoring that Jazz defense when they had all those injuries to begin the year, um, and his defensive numbers and metrics are I mean incredible. Um, so I'd still go with Gobert, but honestly, I'm fine with Draymond Green, especially the way he's been playing over the past couple of weeks. So who do you have as defensive player of the year? I'm I had. Uh... Gobert a few weeks ago, but I think I have to go with Green now. Yeah, the, the the Warriors now have the number one defense in the league. Yeah, and they were that was supposed to be what they were sacrificing with this Barnes for Durant swap. And you know, Green is anchoring the number one defense in the league, and everybody talks about the Warriors' offense, but they have the best defense in the league, and it's because of Green. Yeah. So, and and, and I just how do you not give it to him? Exactly, and he's so. And the thing with him is that he's not only anchoring that defense, but he's so just diverse defensively, guarding you know one through five. Basically, he could probably guard one through five, depending on the point guard. Um, that you know, Gobert is the traditional big man anchoring a defense, and he's doing a great job. Gobert is. Um, the Jazz, I think, are the third best defense in the league, and you know, I give Gobert a lot of credit for all the injuries you know the, the Jazz had. They were missing some good defenders, and he you know kept that defense afloat, but. Green's diversity and the Warriors having the best defense, you know, you might have just convinced me right there that I, that Green is the defensive player of the year. Um, so we'll have to see, you know, if the Warriors finish with the number one defense, probably give it to Green. If the Jazz, you know, maybe somehow jump them because I don't think they're that far behind. Um, 
I don't think they will jump the Warriors, but I think the Jazz could get the number two defense in the league. You know, it'll, it'll be tough. Um, but I think um, people will give it a green, being that he's been snubbed the past couple of years. I think he finished second the past two years. Right. Um, and I don't know if he was snubbed, but he did finish second, and I do think there is a certain uh, your turn yeah. element to these things. Yeah. So, I, yeah, that's the other reason I give it to Green. Yeah. You know, Robert will get his eventually. Yeah, for sure, uh, especially if he keeps playing like this. Um, so, Coach of the Year, uh, you know, we're going back to Houston. Um, uh, I have Mike D'Antoni, and, you know, if you ask me about a week and a half ago when the Rockets were struggling before they went on a four-game winning streak now, uh, I'd be open to a lot more candidates. Um, still open. Scott Brooks has jumped into the race, in my opinion. Brad Stevens is there. Um, I think Quinn Snyder deserves credit for the Jazz. Um, Spolster, we mentioned, if they could get them to the playoffs, I mean, he's doing a great job no matter what. Um, but right now, D'Antoni. I mean, the Rockets are on pace for 58 wins. I don't think anyone expected that. Um, pretty sure their Vegas over-under was like 42 to begin um, the season. I, I have to give it to D'Antoni. And, and another thing that is kind of not spoken about a lot is just how much he's gotten his guys to buy in I mean he's gotten hardened to buy into his system he's got the teammates really playing for each other you watch this Rockets team and they really not only enjoy playing for each other but they really want to play for each other and you know that speaks to the coach and the atmosphere he's created in the locker room um, so for right now because of the team success and because he has you know the players and the teamwork you know kind of working cohesively I'm going to give it to D'Antoni right now I'm uh really the way I look at it is right now for the Rockets, I have Gordon with sixth man of the year, and we'll probably get this in a minute. I have Maury for executive of the year, yeah, and I have Harden for MVP. A little too much, huh? So, yeah, to have uh, a number three seed with four award winners is kind of yeah, kind kind of. So 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 I look at the, the the Warriors and I say, or the, the the Rockets and I say, okay, out of coach of the year and executive of the year, who deserves it more, D'Antoni? Or Maury. Mm-hmm. And I have to go with Maury because Maury, one, he, he put the coach in place, seeing the system in mind, and then he gave him the players that could fit the system yeah. around Harden. It's like Maury had the big picture, and D'Antoni was part of that big picture. And D'Antoni has done exceptionally in the role that Maury envisioned. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I'm not saying he hasn't done a great job of coaching, but it's his his success is almost like a subset to Maury's success. Yeah, and and then Maury also made much more. I mean, all of these things, you know, even signing D'Antoni, signing Anderson, signing Gordon, kind of this, you know, to hell with defense kind of attitude. Let's just score points and see what happens. And scoring points actually helps defense. Yes. Um, so I, for, for me, Maury seeing the big picture and putting all the assembling all these things together, I have to go with him for executive over the year of the year. And then my coach of the year is Scott Brooks. Just the way that Washington has, you know, started off so horribly, and and but he had this had this new coach and how he's. Uh, gradually made them into a better and better team as the season has progressed to the point where they really gave uh, Cleveland uh, Rocky versus Apollo type battle <laughs> in that game last Monday. So, 
Yeah, for me, it's Brooks right now. Yeah, and I then a bunch of other guys. Yeah, there are a bunch of candidates, um, and I, yeah, I think Brooks. You know, it's it's gonna be tough. There's no way. See, I'm being kind of optimistic. You know, covering the Rockets, and you know, just based off right now, there's just no way that the Rockets would be able to get four awards now. The interesting thing about Executive of the Year is I think that's an award that I don't want to say hasn't been rewarded properly, but I don't think because Maury I don't think has ever finished in the top five of voting. Actually, I think he finished I think he finished fourth or fifth the year he traded for Harden, um, and you know the next couple of years I don't think he's finished in the top five in voting, and I have no idea why that's the case is. I think you know these are humans who do a vote for these awards, and maybe you know Maury isn't exactly the most beloved um, executive, but. Uh, I think Executive of the Year is one of those weird awards where it's not always rewarded based on you know what a lot of moves like you know NBA nerds and, tw- and NBA Twitter love. Um, so I'm not sure if Maury will get it, though I think that Maury is is very deserving for Executive of the Year. You know, as you mentioned, he went through an extremely ridiculed offseason. Um, a lot of controversial moves. People were pretty much laughing at the signings of Anderson and Gordon. Um, They've turned out to be great. The signing of Nene has been very, very valuable. And even going back to last season, you know, the drafting of Sam Decker and Montrez Harrell has been very big for the Rockets this season. You know, they've developed, um, they developed pretty quickly into rotational pieces. That's something that should be considered when you know voting for Executive of the Year, um, past drafting, especially you know, as recent as last year. Um, just to write on that, also his uh, use of the D League. Yes. To- to get those guys playing time in situations, and not all, and also having the uh, Rio Grand Valley Vipers run the same sets yes. that the Rockets do, so they're not just getting playing time; they're getting playing time in the system that they're going to be playing in with the mothership. So that, like, you know, these are things a lot of other managers aren't even thinking about. So that's why you have this Mercur, you know, like this, this, the, the, like Clint Capella had never played a game in the U.S. until two years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, the the uh, he, he even his rise, it, it, or three years ago, even his rise has just been incredibly quick. Uh, and then, like you said, Decker, and you know, this is Decker's rookie season, basically. Yeah. And uh, he. he his development of players, not just drafting them, but putting them in situations where they can develop and learn on the job. Yeah, it's extremely valuable moving forward, especially. Um, so let's move on to uh, most improved player of the year. We both agree on executive of the year, so we can kind of move past that one. Most improved player of the year. Um, I still have Giannis because we talked about it before. The numbers he's putting up are historical. Um, there are some other candidates. You know, Zach Levine and Jabari Parker would have been right up there, but now with their knee, their injuries, they're kind of out of the race. Um, I got to give it to Yanni still. His numbers are insane. The Bucks might not be winning, but I, I'm not putting that on Yanni's because he's doing everything he can on a nightly basis. So who do you have for most improved player? I, I think it's between Giannis and absolutely no one at all. And if anybody votes for anybody else, they should lose their right to ever vote for any award ever again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it's pretty accurate right there. It's, Giannis is a, you know above the rest of the field by a good good margin especially with the other you know Levine and Parker would have been nice like second and third places but now you know they've fallen out completely with their injuries and that's really unfortunate for them but yeah Yanni should comfortably comfortably run away with most improved player um 
So let's move on to the big one, probably the most controversial, easily. Um, MVP, um, we're both in agreement that it's James Harden, though that's probably at this point, I still think the minority opinion, especially if you go on Twitter, you know, especially doing a, a big OKC game like last night, you, you'll see a lot of uh, Russ for MVP. And I'm not saying Russ is not, Russ has had a great season, of course, but I think Harden, when you look at, you factor in efficiency, I think Harden's numbers are just straight up better than Russ's. Um, I think this whole triple-double thing is kind of uh, superficial at this point. Um, you know, not saying triple-doubles aren't impressive, but when I hear people saying Russ for MVP and I say, why do you think that? And the the majority of responses I get is because he's averaging a triple-double. That simply isn't the argument that's going to convince me. Um, it might convince a lot of the voters, but it's not going to convince me. Um, my question about MVP, because we both agree it's hardened at this point, my question, my specific question for you, is, you know, came up when I was on NBA, uh, when I was on Twitter last night after the Thunder uh, Warriors game, is that, you know, how do you feel about this argument that I've been seeing a lot that, you know, Russ has less talent around them than Harden? Okay, I was thinking about this last night too. Okay, if you put Victor Oladipo on the Rockets, is he the second best player on the Rockets? Yes, and I'll even add, if you put Steven Adams on the Rockets, I think Adams would be the best big man. Question. That was my second question. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't even know that those statements are controversial. And and we talk about and then people will say, well, but uh, Harden's players fit him better. And it's like, okay, they didn't fit him better in the preseason. <laughs> in, in, in the preseason, oh, how are they going to defend anybody? None of these guys can defend. You know, so so so, there's this sort of of backtracking logic to the whole Westbrook has less talent, and his bench, you know, doesn't have a lot of talent. But honestly, outside of Gordon, what kind of talent does Harden have on his bench? Like, yeah. were we sitting there projecting Eric Decker to be this superstar? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, part of it is. Harden actually makes his players better. He makes his teammates better. And I, I did a, I kind of crunched some numbers and uh, looked at uh, some on-off type numbers and, and, and some numbers like what, what players score off of uh, Harden's passes what players score off of Westbrook's passes, and um, both players improve their teammates. But Harden's teammates average 0.15 points more off of his passes. They improve 0.15 points more off of Harden's passes than Westbrook's do off of his passes, if you follow me. Yeah. So, so both players make their teammates better but Harden makes his teammates more better and it's bad grammar but it's accurate <laughs> logic yeah uh, so I and, and I think the other thing is if you go back and you look at the preseason projections for win totals yes yes most analysts and I looked at ESPN uh, CBS Bleach Report you know, I like got all the major websites. Yeah. And I also looked at some uh, Vegas odds. Virtually everyone had Oklahoma City 
being better than Houston in the preseason. And my thing is that I, I asked this on Twitter last night. Why do you th- I was asking why do you think people predicted the Thunder to be better than the Rockets? And the answer is because they thought they had more talent. I just think that I mean I think that people going into the season were comfortably predicting that the Thunder would finish better than the Rockets. And uh, the majority of people who predict made that prediction, I'm assuming, thought they had more talent. Not that Russell Westbrook was that significantly better than Harden. Um, and we talked about it. Oladipo and Adams put in Houston would, I think, comfortably be the second and third best players on the Rockets roster. Um, I just think that, you, you know, saying that Harden's teammates are better fit around him. I mean, I think that Harden's game was one of the was. You know, Anderson and Gordon actually admitted this when they were when they after they signed as free agents that they said, you know, Harden's game really made me want to come here. That that's a telling thing. That's a that's a really telling thing when they you know Harden's game really wanted these shooters to come and play um, next to him. So I just I don't. And the other thing that, that sort of annoys me about this whole argument did we did we sit there and say, oh well, Curry is just successful because of the talent he has around him. When he got the MVP, when 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 LeBron James won two MVPs in Miami, did he not have Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade with him? Why is it this year is the year that all of a sudden we're going to make it? Oh, but you have guys who can shoot three pointers, so we're not going to give it to you. I just think that's a weak argument. I, yeah, I think it's weak, and I think it's pretty honestly kind of hypocritical. Um, for people who, you know, voted for Steph Curry, and I'm talking specifically about that 2014-2015 season when Harden uh, carried the Rockets to 56 wins with Joey Dorsey at center for a good amount of games. Um, you know, people at that time, you know, it's kind of a similar thing. Westbrook, Westbrook is kind of like the Harden this year, but not doing as better, you know, with his team not projected for 56 wins. And Harden, I mean, I don't want to compare Harden to the Curry of 2015 because he doesn't have the teammates around him that Curry did. But at that time, no one was saying... Listen, Curry's got all this help. We can't give him MVP. He got MVP. Um, now it's like Harden's got all this help. We can't give him MVP. I, I, I really, that really is pretty annoying and kind of just a, such a simplistic kind of hypocritical kind of argument in favor of Westbrook um, this season. And I think it's because of the narrative. Better though, don't don't confuse NBA Twitter with voters. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I've seen some, you know, like general, I've looked at, you know, like I do an MVP ladder for, uh, for, for, for B-ball breakdown. I've, you know, like Spears MVP ladder, Yahoo's there, there are several MVP type ladder situations or, uh, weekly MVP ladder things. And Harden has been at the top of most of those for the last several weeks. So there are, you know, like some commentators just clearly have a disliking for Harden, which, you know, I, I imagine you, you're in Houston, so you don't see a lot of the opposing commentators that, well, if any time James Harden scores, they have a problem with it. Oh, yeah, I've, I've heard. <laughs> but uh, I, overall, I think the, the general sentiment is actually 80% for Harden, 20% for Westbrook. Yeah, and but, you know, and you were tweeting, you know, like last night, it, the the thunder is the big game. So, I, I think there was probably a large OKC uh, presence on Twitter last night. Yeah, that's probably the case. Um, yeah, so I think we've kind of, you know, hammered down this MVP talk for at least one discussion. Um, 
Let's end with a really you know short and quick kind of fun little segment. Um, just talking about playoff matchups you kind of most want to see. Um, we still have a good amount of time. The standings could shuffle a, a good amount of bit, but I think we have kind of the A playoff. Well, I'd say in each conference we have comfortably have at least six or seven spots you know locked up, especially in the West. I think we have seven spots comfortably locked up. So some playoff matchups that I'd love to see in the first round specifically. Um, I'd love to see Rockets Thunder because – you know, all three games between the teams have been good so far this season. They've all come down basically to the last couple of seconds. Um, and, of course, you've got that narrative battle of MVP candidates that the media will swallow up whole. Um, I think that'd just be a really good, you know, tough series um, and something that I would look forward to. Um, another series, Golden State-Denver, mainly because of just the offensive showcase that would be. And, of course, because that means we get to see Nikola Jokic in the playoffs, which is a joy. And maybe that'll open up his um, open up the eyes of some casual fans at least. Maybe not. Um, another series I'd love to see, uh, Clippers-Jazz, which is actually slotted to be the 4-5 right now. Um, that series would be fun if hopefully both teams are healthy. Um, and also it could be significant for several reasons because it could be a big stepping stone in, in bigger things for the Jazz if they were to win that series. Um, and also it could be that this last playoff chance for this current Clippers team with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin being free agents. So I think that would be an interesting series. Um and I know I had to throw in an Eastern Conference matchup. I think Washington Indiana could actually be pretty interesting. Um, I think their game, I think their what was that the game they played two nights ago um, was pretty entertaining. Came down to the wire. I think that could be an interesting series that Washington wins in like six or seven. Um, so, what, what are there any playoff matchups you specifically want to see, or um, you know, any of the four that I listed that particularly excite you? Um, I'm just. Uh, one thing that would be kind of a weird, fun one is Cleveland-Miami. Oh, that would be pretty interesting. You know, I mean, not that Miami would have a chance, but, you know, maybe they get, like, mounted up and just play the game of their lives because it's LeBron James, and they they win game three. And so for at least, uh, you know, a day or two, we could, like, all pretend that Miami has a chance to beat Cleveland, so that would be fun. <laughs> uh, then, I, I'm really, I, I really like the idea of a Golden State-Denver game, just because points, who doesn't love points? Exactly. Uh, the, uh, ooh, Blake Griffin in Utah. That yeah, would be interesting. Yeah. That, that, that game could get pretty, that, that could get to be a pretty, uh, uh, aggressive <laughs> series <laughs> yeah I have a little bit of complaining there and actually I like the CP3 Paul George matchup too uh, two of the better two way point guards in the league so yeah there could be some fun ones yeah there could definitely be some fun ones um, but I think the East playoffs will be pretty boring in the first round um, just looking at the standings right now I don't think I mean I mentioned Washington Indiana you know Toronto Atlanta could be somewhat interesting I guess depending on if the Hawks you know even have any players by then if they sell most of them um i think the west playoffs will be significantly more entertaining i mean i didn't even mention you know right now the 2-7 matchup would be spurs thunder i think the spurs win comfortably but that still could be an entertaining series um you know you got right now you've got grizzlies rockets as the, as the 3-6 matchup the grizzlies do give a lot of problems to the rockets that could be pretty good kind of balance of offense versus defense uh we mentioned warriors nuggets um and then clippers jazz i think the west playoffs will be significantly more entertaining in the first round um, than the Eastern Conference playoffs, but we'll have to wait. If, if it was a, a Thunder Rockets series would be interesting too, because then you'd have that, 
MVP battle going on. Exactly, something that the media would love. What's that? The media would love that. ESPN will be promoting that so much, you know, the commercials of the MVP candidates. But And the games between the teams have been really entertaining so far this season, so that'd be a nice matchup. Over under on the, the number of times the words triple-double were spoken would be like one and a half billion. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, all right, well, you know, Kelly, I'd love to thank you for coming on the show and having a great chat. Um, if you want, you can throw out, you know, where people can find your work and your uh, Twitter uh, username. Yeah, my username is Kelly Scaletta, and that's uh, the word scale with a TTA. <laughs> Nobody knows how to spell that. And then uh, my my uh, work is on Fan Rag Sports, B-Ball Breakdown, and uh, Bleach Report. All right, well, thank you, guys, Kelly, for joining us, and uh, thank you guys for listening to another edition of the 94 Feet Report Basketball Podcast. Take care, guys. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.